0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. It's Wednesday, June 14th, 2023, and today we're going to be answering three questions we've been hearing from international educators over the last seven days. And as we do each week on The Roundup, we take our questions that we ask and answer here on The Roundup from our newsletter that comes out on Monday mornings. And if depending on where you are in the world, it comes out 9 a.m. Eastern Time uh, on our for, to those who have subscribed through our website. And I'll drop the link in the chat. That's smieconsulting.org slash subscribe. If you prefer an email version in your inbox, uh, you can sign up that way. If you prefer to get it uh, via LinkedIn, uh, we have an email news, uh, a LinkedIn version of our newsletter uh, that has over a thousand subscribers, 1,100 subscribers now, and has uh, really allowed us to expand our reach in terms of uh, the content of our news stories that we cover each week and our hot takes on those, and then go in depth into three themes that we see generating uh, around similar uh, news stories that we see. So that's what we do each week, and uh, I want to also give a special shout out, obviously, to those that watch live each week on on our social channels for SMIE Consulting, also those who uh, listen to the audio-only podcast if you prefer to uh, listen to this content while you work out, work, or walk, uh, whatever floats your boat. Uh, Hopefully, uh, you're getting some decent uh, content here, some thoughts-provoking responses to these questions that uh, may help you do what you do better in international education in your institutions or organizations. So thanks, thanks again, everybody, for making our roundup a part of your international edification each week. And let's get right into our first question of the day, uh, one that is uh, a little bit out of left field in terms of the kind of, and a surprising one, in terms of what student, prospective students, how their habits may have been changing, uh, particularly as a result of the pandemic, and how that is impacting uh, the application process and the timeline that students are working on before uh before applying to universities. So, the question is Are students changing how long it takes to research universities? And we're going to jump right in with a, with a survey uh, that was featured in the ICEF Monitor's uh, report last week. Uh, short on, and uh, what basically what it is, it's a part of, an extracts of the Keystone Education Group's 2023 State of Student Recruitment Report that was conducted between January and April. So, the results have been made public, they were shared at NAFSA, and uh, here's some of the f- follow on from that. So that uh, what the one of the takeaways that kind of prompted this question is uh, a major global survey conducted earlier this year this is from the IF monitor report shows that 56 percent of surveyed prospective students began researching study abroad options only six months before applying to a university or even less than that So this is fairly significant uh, a little bit of perspective on this one. Uh, when I started uh, working with Education USA uh, back in two thousand and eight, uh, one of the things that we um, developed in the first couple of years as we look to promote the u s as a destination for international students is uh, the challenge of trying to define the process uh, because the process begins with a heavy amount of research and understanding of what the options are uh, for students before they, uh, before they actually choose to apply and where they choose to apply, narrowing down their list and all of that wonderful thing. Uh, when we share in our, what we came up with at the time, uh, developing your five steps to U.S. study, which is still very much a part of how Education USA talks about uh, U.S. higher education to prospective students and parents all around the world at the undergraduate and graduate level. Uh, one of the things that we, we've, we talk about is, for undergraduates in particular, which was the primary focus here, uh, and, well, and, and graduate applicants but primarily undergrad, is you looked at uh, how, how long should students start their process before they want to enroll. So this is a little bit different question here, but from, at a minimum, we would talk 12 to 18 months out uh, from when they plan to enroll. Uh, that they would start their search. Now, this this survey so sort of asks how long do you have? How long is the front end of that process, the research phase, before you start applying? So that's obviously a different end game. But it's saying within six months. So. Uh, I think what what we see in the uh, looking historically back, we would say to because in the US, we see our domestic students uh, seriously start researching uh, in their junior years. So potentially up to uh, a year and a half, two years before they they enroll. Uh, And if they're starting in their junior year, that's a full year before they apply. Uh, Now what we're seeing with international students because and maybe this is because so many more institutions have gone test optional. That's one potential cause for this. Uh, One of the factors that usually uh, was an important uh, step in the decision making process is visiting campuses and finding out what you want to do. Now uh, with obviously the pandemic really impacted how students uh, choose, particularly domestic students uh, choose, even domestic students choose not to visit in as large a numbers. They may have it high on their list of things to do when they're sophomores or juniors, but when it comes down to it, not, not as many, uh, actually visit uh, colleges before they make their decisions. Uh, that, uh, this is another survey uh, that uh, came out from NCORA, uh, State of College Campus Visits, and it shared that in their most recent student sentiment research, indicated that 82% of high school sophomores and juniors reported plans to visit colleges before they apply. Okay, Yet, only 48% of seniors said they did. So uh, the, the, the expense, the organizational piece of having to physically visit, uh, that everybody thinks it's a good idea. The greater majority, 82% when you're a sophomore and junior think it's a great idea. I want to definitely visit these campuses before I decide where I'm going to apply those decisions are getting pushed. Uh, Maybe they don't visit at all until they enroll or only after they're accepted and they go to one or two campuses that they've been accepted at. So this is redefining how students are are conducting their uh, research. Uh, What's important in that research? And why perhaps do we see the numbers uh, uh, or the percentage uh, of students uh, that are not visiting campus that are potentially also the ones not uh, or starting their process sooner. Uh, part of that might be the test optional piece, as I mentioned, that there are so many more colleges now have, and we'll have a story about that in the newsletter next week, but so many more colleges now are not requiring SAT or ACT, so those tests typically are taken in the spring are uh, uh, new typically in the spring of the junior year for American domestic high school students and when many competitive international school students will start taking their SAT ACT in the spring and then once again in the fall of their senior year. Uh, so this is uh, this, this process Uh, without having to take those tests now and knowing, okay, schools that I'm applying to are are not looking at test scores, maybe I don't need to uh, take that, so I don't need to wait, I don't need to start my processes early. Now we're seeing with uh, one of potentially other complicating factors in the campus visit. We know during the pandemic, campus visits were basically shut down. Some colleges did soldier on and had everybody wear masks that came to campus, but those were very limited and few and far between. But when campuses started reopening, campus visits didn't pick up in the volume that they might have been previously. So the, the importance of the college visit Uh, It might be complicated here by when the pandemic hit uh, changed the way we do things. All colleges and universities invested in more virtual ways to do college tours or to share their college campuses with prospective students. And that process um, allowed a wider range of students by offering videos and personalized uh, campus tours that were done virtually uh, and having snapshot videos of different parts of campus life really allowed prospective students to get a fuller range of what that campus experience is really like before uh, without having to go physically to be on campus and that's obviously logistics and everything that for international students is even more complicated than the domestic students in terms of ability to travel to, to the U.S. just for college visits. You have to be very very wealthy to even think about trying to do that. So what I think is what has happened is that research time before applying Maybe uh, if you're applying as a a junior or senior, or as a senior in your final year of high school or your final year of university for a graduate program or a transfer applicant, you might be able to do it now with getting all your information in a quicker amount of time. Uh, Obviously the wealth of resources that are available that help uh, students distill that vast number of 4,500 institutions in the U.S. down to a manageable number there's a lot more options to help students do that. There are a wider range of agents available, wider range of online sources, uh, deep, uh, more instantaneous responses that they can get from campuses and potentially prospective uh, current students on those campuses that can help outline uh, what what the actual uh, campus situation is like and uh, students can get a a much more robust picture earlier in the process where as in the past, uh, the universities were a little bit more in control of the messaging in terms of what they what students got at different points in their uh, application journey or admissions journey to applying to uh, and uh, being admitted and enrolling in their universities. So the research piece is 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 is, is, it, is it is that time that first bit before they apply is that amount of time shortening. It probably is, and uh, there are potentially a few different reasons why that's happening, because they have better access to information. Uh, they can uh, do a lot of the homework themselves uh, in terms of getting that personal connection about a campus, what it looks like to live and walk around and study there, and really get a better experience of what's possible, the potential of, uh, of impact of test optional on taking one less item out of their what they need to apply uh, to to complete to apply to certain universities and again we're for those that are uh, looking at the top schools in the country the the top 50 that have very selective criteria that accept less than 10 percent of their applicants uh, then that's a very small percentage of those applicants coming to the united states uh, from overseas so that that there's i think uh, it would be not be useful to generalize based on just the most selective institutions because the majority of U.S. institutions are not the most selective. Uh, the majority have a fairly reasonable, uh, minimal number of, of requirements for students to apply. Uh, it gets a little bit more complicated at the grad levels, but you see the process being a much more straightforward one. Uh, so I think it's uh, the requirements. Are, it's much easier for them to find out what those requirements are. It's much more easy. Uh, easily identifiable in terms of the campus campuses that might be really good fits for them, uh, in terms of networks that students might have, in terms of where their uh, seniors have gone from their schools or their neighborhoods, and they're, they're staying in closer touch, so they get better. Um, maybe limiting their their search uh, more quickly, in terms of uh, throwing colleges in or out into their mix. But I I, I do I do wonder about uh, the impact of um, of this uh, on, more broadly on destinations, countries that students are applying to. Uh, I'd be interested to see where that figured in. There's no real mention of it in the story, so that would be helpful to me to understand if uh, if students are shortening the amount of time to research universities. Obviously, we're, we have an American-centric view of this here in the U.S. in terms of, well, just looking at us, we're all different. We have very complicated uh, systems in terms of how long it takes to apply. But if students are looking at the U.K. where it's UCAS, and this is all you need to do uh, in terms of how to apply, That's a very simple process. Uh, Identifying the programs at the specific universities might be a little bit more uh, labor intensive. But in terms of uh, other countries, that these same students might be going to the the amount of time is we're not just dealing with U.S. U.S. bound students we're dealing with international students might be looking at Canada Australia U.K. Ireland uh, New Zealand other destination markets uh, in Europe perhaps Germany France they uh, they'll, they'll uh, they may be looking at three or four of those countries uh, as potential options for them so we we might be on on that long so in some co- some countries the process may be fairly straightforward like in the UK, but in others in the US, it's different at every campus. So uh, there are general rules that we can share or practices that we share in terms of what most commonly will be experienced by international students. But I think the the rub of this is there's a, the, it's a changing playing field, uh, I think. And that's a more rapidly changing playing field in terms of what, what students are, what uh, what is impacting students uh, thinking in terms of uh, where to apply uh, how long it should take uh, what there's what's going to be needed to apply those out external factors are, are, are really uh, can and do impact the, that timing but I think what's also important is to look at where where these students are looking uh, to to study because that will have a, a, a much greater impact on the length of time that it takes to research universities before they apply but to be have the majority be applying Within six months of starting their research, that's a pretty significant number—56% uh, from this Keystone survey of over 23,000 students, I believe. So there's some vo- volume there that uh, does lend some value to this. What I will say also, when you look at uh, look at the, the, the survey from um, from Keystone that's featured in this ICEF Monitor report. It said three quarters of the students were also worried about safety of studying abroad, particularly when it comes to the prospect of racial discrimination. Uh, so the the survey uh, did have um, some interesting data points there. Uh, what has also impacted the the number of uh, uh, impacted the the results, but maybe answering that question, but also uh, overall in terms of the term time limits or time it's taking to to. Uh, to apply before applying. Uh, roughly half of all students in this particular survey were from Africa, where there's histories of lower uh, visa success rates across the board for uh, country destinations. So I think that might be impacting some of, some of this piece as well. Uh, the other, other interesting factoid from here: is students want to work uh, while studying, whether part-time, full-time, or through internships. So that's something, an expectation that they have. So uh, when we talked last week about meeting student expectations, that might be something you want to address early on in the com flow to let them know what the op- realistic options are. Because uh, if, if you're in Australia or Canada or UK, when they can work off campus uh, 20, 24 hours a week, uh, from the start, uh, that's a different prospect than only being able to work twenty hours a week on campus for perhaps jobs that aren't going to earn as much as out working off campus. So that's something that uh, impacts this. So interesting dynamics. Every st- survey is a little bit different, and some you can know, only you take with a grain of salt. But this theme of uh, the time it takes for students to do their research shortening before they apply, I think that's one to pay attention to longer term and thinking thinking about. Uh, why that's happening and how your comflow flow might get impacted. Uh, we all know that students do a lot of research before they apply to us, before they even reach out to us to contact us. They may do their shadow shopping uh, uh, or mystery shopping on, on our websites, and we don't really hear from them until they apply. So uh, tracking that journey is a little bit more complex uh, for for. St- for student for colleges in the US to understand that that narrative but understanding that that means they're they're making decisions on your on your institution without knowing without really even reaching out and letting you know they're interested so uh, that is something that we all need to be, be aware better aware of in terms of how we plan and how we make sure our sites have as much information as possible that answers these questions that helps them make decisions on to apply as early in the process and make sure that we're we're able to identify the needs that these students have or the major expectations that they have that we need to either temper or uh, readjust uh, to make sure that they're uh, they're aware of what the true story is in terms of what their life would be like if they join your college campus so that's question number one let's move on to the second question is Uh, One that is uh, a topic we cover uh, regularly on the roundup uh, and it always uh, seems uh, During the summer months to gain particular momentum and that's uh, related to the US uh, India student pipeline or India to US uh, student pipeline and the question is how big will that pipeline grow? Uh, we've seen uh, it over recent weeks and months we've seen a, a lot of attention being put on um, expanding access to visa appointments uh, for u.s bound indian students and not just students but also other visa categories that have had outrageously long uh, wait times for uh, b visa to be taking more than a year to come for a visit for business or uh, or tourism uh, student visa times have come down dramatically thanks to expanded uh, visa appointment slots uh, to expanded access to those that have previously had a u.s visa that have gone through security clearances in the last five years not having to take uh, come and actually make the visa appointment they just file their paperwork and then it gets sorted that way so uh, the, re- the, the reality is in india um, I think the, the, the signs signs have been coming for a while that this market is uh, going to be exploding. Um, it's already, already going to be, as of this fall, the number one student market in the United States in terms of total volume and in terms of new students. I believe that 100% this fall will we'll certainly see that. And the demographics are only going to be increasing. You see um, some of the complications that other destinations have had uh, related to India with with Australia. There's uh, certain universities are are not uh, are, have stopped uh, recruiting in c- uh, certain Indian states because of uh, huge volume of fraud uh, that they've seen coming out through the through applicants there that have worked with dodgy agents. You've seen the issue of the two-step migrants in, in, the, in from India to and South Asia to Australia and the challenges that has posed. Uh, so there's been a lot of negative press as of late for Australia. Uh, the U.K. has seen, uh, seen more positive, um, um, positive results as, as of late. Their numbers are coming up as their China numbers are starting to edge back down. So um, as, a, as a market, it's just huge. It's also now the most populous nation in the world. Uh, But certainly in terms of that young population, uh, largest percentage, largest number, physical number of youth population, college age population anywhere in the world is in India. So that's why uh, there's that real growing demand. And we talked also about the increasing undergraduate demand for U.S. education uh, and other countries, but so that pipeline on a lot of different levels is is, is growing dramatically. Now the story that's coming out um, is from the U.S. mission uh, in in India uh, that they're gearing up for what they're calling a record, another record Indian student visa applications this year. Uh, So it it looks at last year's number, uh, a record-breaking 125,000 Indians were issued student visas in 2022, and they're saying uh, in 2023 they're going to set another record as they expand. Uh, They have just recently had Visa Day um, uh, in early June. Uh, that they prioritized across the country at all the different embassy and consulate locations uh, for student visa interviews that they recorded the highest volume they've ever had on on that day uh, there also have recently uh, the the new us consulate in Hyderabad is opened with an amazing number of uh, of uh, of additional visa windows that students can be interviewed at there's been a lot of resources in terms of staffing poured in to uh, make this uh, make this happen um, so the uh, i mentioned mentioned earlier on one day uh they uh in the visa day that they mentioned uh they had 300, three hundred three thousand five hundred applicants uh, this past wednesday uh that intruded and that uh applied for student visas. So the vast majority are getting approved. Uh, we're seeing some of our agents uh, that are working on the ground in India posting successes, successful days, the number of student visas they had approved. Uh, one of our agents is uh, posting over 90% success rate. So th- those are encouraging steps uh, uh, and data that can uh, all point to one fact, that India is going to be the number one sender to the United States this fall and overall volume to, to the US. Uh, in terms of international students. So, it's really exciting to see these results uh, that um, uh, international students from from our students from India coming they've got there's been a lot of uh, a lot of uh, public, public uh, relations uh, that the US mission has done in India to uh, express to them that, yes, we know we've uh, the wait times have been really long, we're working on it, we're p- adding all these new things, these new features, trying to make it a more streamlined process, all that, and it seems to be working. Uh, not only the internal, in-country stuff that the U.S. mission has been doing, but also on a w- wider scale uh, there are more options available in the United States for Indian students than anywhere else in the world. Uh, they they have there's historical ties with uh, immigrant populations that have come over and worked. Um, the The ties between Silicon Valley and tech firms in the United States and India, uh, and their 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 Tech Valley between Hyderabad and and Bangalore. You see all of these things happening uh, that show the, the the number of students that have come from India to the U.S. in the past couple decades that have made, uh, uh, they are overrepresented in terms of the number of, of students who are on OPT. They're the vast majority of uh, H-1B applicants every year. So there's real strong evidence to show that the this Indian boom uh, is going to continue to grow to the United States. So uh, nothing but positive, uh, positives to talk about uh, related to, uh, to the flows of students coming from India. Now we will end today with a topic that uh, is an interesting one for those that keep uh, uh, when we talk about our six Ps here on the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup, uh, the six Ps of Strategic International Enrollment Management. Uh, these are the processes that's, that uh, and philosophical tenets that w- we use uh, when we consult with institutions. What I'm using uh, in my full-time job with, ed- uh, with uh, U- University of Nevada, Las Vegas, we're implementing these uh, six Ps into how we do Strategic International Enrollment Management. And seeing Enrollment Management, long story short, is the entire international student journey from prospect to successful alumni. Uh, And that is the journey we want all of our students to complete and and when we focus as an institution on all those elements, not just in the front end of the process getting them to campus and taking care of them once they in that first week or two but also at all each point during their journey on campus and preparing for life after graduation we want their uh, experience to be one that is recognized as significant and different and important uh, by uh, various offices on campus that will have to have services that cater to these students that have very different needs than the typical U.S. uh, applicant or U.S. student coming to our college would have. So uh, what are those six Ps? Uh, First one up is perspective, having that global perspective. Uh, And here's what we're talking about here in terms of perspective. Part of that is having a local perspective on what your strengths and weaknesses are as an institution, what your resources are in the community, having a national perspective, knowing what the hot topics are, what the strengths and weaknesses of the US as a destination for college for college students are and then also having a global perspective uh, knowing who are what our competition are doing uh, for uh, internet trying to attract international students to their countries regarding their application process regarding tuition and fees regarding campus structure uh, work opportunities all of these things are are, are Vital for us to understand when we are messaging to those students that might to students that might also be looking at these other countries so knowing what other countries is doing so this last question is related to China and it says is charging international students much more the route to success for china Chinese universities? Uh, we had a new story uh, in the in our newsletter this week uh, that featured uh, the Chinese government uh, considering and uh, President Xi Jinping uh, making the uh, claim that we need to be doing more to improve the uh, our world uh, our universities into world class universities and f- focus ha- into having those institutions direct resources to uh, make our uh, innovation capacity. And that's uh, that's what. Uh, President Xi has called uh, what he thinks China's universities need to do more of, uh, create that innovation capacity. And one of the things that is being considered is raising the tuition fees charged because uh, they look around and uh, there's a story out uh, that uh, it will be in next week's. Uh, actually, it won't be in next week's. It'll be uh, featured here only on the, on the roundup. And that is China to increase international student fees in line with the UK and U.S., so, uh, right now, uh, non domestic or international students currently in Chinese universities pay around 20,000 yuan RMB uh, per year. That's about $2,800 tuition fees. Um, but researchers are suggesting now that that amount will increase fivefold to 100,000 yuan. Uh, that's $14,000 a year. So, that's what the um, what the potential increase would be so significant uh, not certainly um, not uh, that that's a tuition amount that would be uh, certainly under a lot the average certainly in the United States for tuition uh, figures but certainly puts it more in line with uh, the global major destination markets so uh, there one perhaps the approach here is boy if we charge more we will be seen as better value Uh, Maybe we're seeing as too cheap. That's why we don't attract as many students. So this is the thinking now that from from China uh, That one of their paths towards that more world-class universities is we need to be charging International students more to study here. So this will be interesting to see how this plays out in China because we also know Over the past decade 15 years or so the their Belt and Road Initiative part of the part of the real um, um, driving force between behind the uh, number of projects uh, that uh, the Belt and Road Initiative has been involved in, in South Asia, in Africa, uh, even into Europe, you see those projects being driven by uh, a goal to enhance Beijing and China's uh, soft power. And it's largely worked in in a lot of countries that uh, now see, uh, don't want to make decisions that necessarily upset uh, China, uh, because they've invested so much in their countries in terms of infrastructure projects, there's, there's, there's questions on, and not all of those projects have been the best of the best, but the, it's been a way for China to exert its influence. Part of that educationally has been the number of scholarships that have been offered to attract, a, a pre-pandemic, uh, over 500,000 international students to China. Uh, and that there, those numbers have dropped dramatically, obviously, because you couldn't get into China for three years, uh, that now you're in the situation where, uh, as an international student, you have many more options, so the English language options in China uh, than, uh, than you did 10, 15 years ago. Uh, so uh, it's become an increasingly popular destination. Uh, it's, it previously had been um, one that was subsidized largely by uh, by the uh, Chinese government through scholarships, but now uh, may not be as as significantly subsidized, particularly if they're going to be increasing those tuition figures up to uh, to the to the amounts that the that you, you see advertised. So I think there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of um, Uh, uncertainty on campuses. I'm, as I mentioned before, I'm leaving on Saturday uh, for a two-week trip to China, taking our provost, uh, who's not been to China yet, uh, to meet with some high-level universities in Guangzhou, in Wuhan, in Beijing, and meeting with Ministry of Education officials and having these conversations to elevate our our status as an institution in the eyes of Chinese universities. Uh, but on the campuses that I'm, I'm, I'll be uh, meet, meeting, uh, meeting with uh, contacts uh, that we're going to be partnering with, uh, figuring out what kind of programs we want to work on together, uh, there's going to be a lot of um, uh, I'll be asking questions just to get to know them a little better. About what are, are how active are you in terms of bringing students to uh, to your institutions from abroad? Not just U.S. students, because um, right now there's there's challenges for U.S. students getting in in terms of flights, in terms of costs, in terms of um, perceived safety issues, uh, those kinds of things. Um, uh, State Department has a travel warning, uh, level four travel warning for China, so that's that's a real challenge for U.S. students. But other countries, that's not as much of an issue. So, uh, I'll be talking to my, my my counterparts on these other campuses about what they're doing to make their campuses more attractive to international students, and see see what see what the what's uh, what the reporting is on the ground there. So, my next two uh, midweek roundups will be from China, uh, so we'll hopefully have some. Um, uh, some interesting insights to share with you in the next couple of weeks. Uh, obviously, those will be taped and not live because uh, of uh, cause of the differences in time. Uh, so it'll go out at one p.m. Eastern on on the Wednesdays, the twenty first and the twenty eighth. But you'll have um, have an opportunity to hear from me uh, as I go through this experience uh, in China the last two weeks. It's been fifteen years since I've traveled to China, so it's uh, going to be uh, see, it's going to be interesting to see the differences, uh, the change to a, almost cashless society for anything to do with Uh, travel in the country uh, using uh, got my Alipay app linked up my cards and be able to use that to buy things uh, in China uh, that's, that's going to be interesting, getting my WeChat up and running uh, again. hasn't been, been a while since I've used that regularly. So those are the travel ch- travel challenges. There might be some of that in the roundup next week. Uh, but certainly we'll, we'll be sharing that uh, into the impact on, on China. So that's all we have for you this week on the roundup. Uh, we thank you again for being a part of the conversation, and we look forward to chatting with you live. from Not live, I'll be in China next couple of weeks. So until then, have a great day.